tell you what you're listening to. Welcome to Father Simon Says on Relevant Radio with Father Richard Simon. I'm here to answer your questions. Have a question? Give us a call. 1-888-914-9149. Has any question you may have about the Lord, the faith, and the church? That's 1-888-914-9149. This is, in fact, a radio show called Father Simon Says on Relevant Radio. Boy, we got wonderful readings today, which I can tell you anecdotes, whatever an anecdote may be. Well, we'll find out in a few minutes, but before that, let's pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful, and kindle them in the fire of your love. Send forth your Spirit, they shall be created, and you shall renew the face of the earth. Lord, you taught the hearts of the faithful by the light of the Holy Spirit, Grant us by that same Spirit to have right judgment in all things and evermore to rejoice in his comfort through Christ our Lord. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Saint Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Again, I would just like to say thank you. I, I, I know, I know that, that uh, you will talk about this when we talk about the gospel. You are giving to the Lord, but it's just such a privilege to do this and to, to share these things with you. And uh, I'm so grateful that you, your generosity makes it possible. And uh, all of us at Relevant Radio are, are genuinely grateful because we love doing this. And we're so um, honored that you seem to love helping us out. Amen. It's your apostolate, your mission. It's your work. And we just get to Sit in the front row and smile. All right, let's go to the big book on the coffee table. I want to go to the gospel first. Um, Luke, the 17th chapter, the seventh verse. And following, <clears throat> who among you would say to your servant, who's just come in from plowing or tending the sheep, come and take your place at table? Wouldn't he rather say to him, prepare something for me to eat? Put on your apron and wait on me while I eat and drink. Is he grateful to that servant because he did what he was commanded? So should it be with you. When you've done all you've been commanded, say, we are unprofitable servants. We have done what we were obliged to do. And the word here is not servant, it's slave. Back when I was the Cardinal's liaison for Spanish-speaking charismatic prayer groups, <laughs> I always say I was in charge of that hurricane. You know, it was exciting. Well... And I was in that position for a lot of years. And uh, we would have these amazing conferences. I mean, I remember one that was literally about 10,000 people. It was vast. We held it in an armory. It was it was huge. I wasn't in an armory. I, it was this, this place where they have rodeos on the south side of Chicago. And it was really a community effort. And uh, we would... Uh, uh, there would be all sorts of people working and, and coordinating things and preparing 
food for the, the, the workers and all these sorts of things. And of course, at the end of the conference, as all religious events, you had the announcements and the thank yous. And we would like to thank Mrs. Gonzalez for making the coffee. And we would like to thank uh, Fred Fernandez for for uh, being the usher at the door and the donation and on and on and on. And people are abandoning the, the hall. And it just so I suggested one year, why don't we why don't we do this? We'd like to thank all the people who helped uh, and we know that your service was for the Lord. And we read this passage, you know, when you've done all you've been commanded to say, we're unprofitable servants. So in that spirit, we want to thank you, but we know it's the Lord who thanks you and moved on. People loved it. People just, oh, thank heavens. You know this, we've been here for two days and now we can go home and the next year. And we'd like to thank Mrs. Gonzalez for the, this is an important passage in scripture. If you don't get thanked by the pastor or by the committee or by the people you've helped in church, don't get huffy. Who are you doing it for? Now, I'm not saying that you shouldn't be thanked. It is very important that we in the administration of the business of religion are truly grateful to people who have helped. But I think we all of us need to be very conscious that we're doing this for the Lord. We're doing it for our Lord Jesus. Uh, I remember a story about a, a minister who uh, uh, <clears throat> uh, was up and coming, and the church was growing, and they decided to build a new church. And to save some money, uh, the men of the church decided to to uh, um, dig the foundations, the footings of the building themselves. They were going to build the trenches and, you know, save some money. And... Uh, well, this young pastor who was uh, the pastor of what was up and coming decided he would go to help dig, show the guys in the church that he was just one of the guys. And, you know, that, well, he jumps down into the, into the, the trench and he's digging away. And this, I guess it was this hard packed clay, he said. And, um, um, one by one, the men of the church went off to, to, uh, uh, to get coffee. And he's alone and digging in this trench, and he's saying, Lord, they, they have no respect for the pastor. I'm here. I didn't have to come here. This is my job. And he's coming in. And the little voice inside said, Bob. That was his name. I call him, I used to call him the Reverend Billy Bob, my favorite theologian. Well, Bob, who are you doing this for? I'm doing it for you, Jesus. Well, then why aren't you enjoying it? And the Holy Spirit convicted his heart, and he started praising God. He's down there and he's doing it for Jesus and he's singing hymns and praising God. And the men of the church came back to resume their work and thought there's the pastor down in a hole singing hymns and he must be nuts. But you know, that, that, that's a, to me, that was such an instructive story that, that uh, I shouldn't be treated like this. Who are you doing it for? I'm doing it for you, Jesus. If you're not doing it for Jesus, then stop doing it in the church. Seriously. Well, I'm helping the pastor. If you're going to that church because you like the pastor, you're going there for the wrong reasons. If you're working on the committee because the pastor asked you, you're doing it for the wrong reasons. When you're asked to do something, say, I'll pray about it. And then I think the Lord wants me to do this and then do it for him. You know, it just... It, 
if we don't have that idea that we're doing this for the Lord, then why are we doing it? You know, unless the Lord builds the house, the psalm says, in vain do the builders labor. And this word is slave. It isn't servant in this text. So, you know, I think it's very important that we examine our motives, even when we're serving in the church. Are you in the choir because you have such a lovely voice and they need you? Or are you doing it for Jesus? That's a good question. All right. Let's go to the first reading, because this first reading is amazing. Uh, Wisdom 2.23, and then it moves on to the third chapter. God formed man to be imperishable. In 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 the image of his own nature, he made them. But by the envy of the devil, death entered the world, and they who are in his possession experience it. I was at another grand charismatic conference, and there was some... Uh, minister who was not Catholic, who was conducting a seminar. Um, you know, the uh, 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 I'm a convinced Catholic. I really believe the Catholic Church is the church founded by the minister through the by the Lord through the ministry of the apostles. I mean, the 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 deposit of faith we received from the Lord <laughs> through the apostles, and uh, we can't get beyond it. And uh, so, but on the other hand, I have really learned a lot from people who who uh, who we would not call Catholic and and uh, you know I, th- I think that uh, you know the whole ecumenical thing that well they're they're not Catholic well they're baptized and in that sense they're united to the church universal the church throughout the world maybe they don't profess unity uh, with us but through the sacrament of baptism and our love for Christ, you know, uh, one should be a little careful ecumenically that that um, learn your own faith real well. Study the catechism before you jump into the deep end of the ecumenical pool. But nonetheless, I, I do believe God is pleased when we who claim the name of Christ, uh, when we when we care for each other, you know, I mean, there's there's anti-ecumenism, which is wrong. And then there's excessive, well, they call it sloppy agape ecumenism, which is also wrong. It's a middle course is best. So back to the anecdote. I'm at this conference, and this Pentecostal minister is up there saying, it's a smaller group, he's saying, you know, I believe that the devil is jealous of humanity, and I wish I had a Bible verse to back that up. And I thought, oh, <laughs> I'm a Catholic. I do have a Bible verse to back that up. The so-called deuterocanonical books or the apocryphal books, I don't call them. I don't even call them deuterocanonical. They're inspired scripture. They were in the Septuagint. They were accepted by the early church, with the exception of a few thinkers who, because they were not in the Hebrew canon, wondered. But they were universe, almost universally accepted as scripture. And the Book of Wisdom was written maybe within the century before Jesus, and uh, <clears throat> it's it's profound. So it, it, it's to be read. So, back to the text. The devil is jealous of humanity. Why? The envy of the devil. Death entered the world. The devil is jealous of humanity. Because God gave us something he did not give the angels. Remember, the devil's a fallen angel. And he gave us something that he didn't give the angels. He gave us a share in his own creativity. Art architecture, literature, music. These all share in divine creativity, but the thing that most shares in divine creativity is life itself. A man 
and a woman in their coming together can create something that is immortal and eternal. The human body, admittedly, we do not create it out of nothing. God created all things out of nothing. But we still participate with the Lord in the union of husband and wife in something immortal and eternal because the human body is immortal if the resurrection is true. And I'm counting on it. You see, the angels don't have children. And that unique creativity, the giving of life, is an amazing gift from the Lord. And the devil hates human creativity. That's why we live in an era now of bad art and bad music. And bad art and bad music, I really believe, have invaded the church. You know, you hear me talk all the time about churches that look like spaceships from the planet ugly. You know, that they're functional and they're, they're avant-garde and, you know, brutalist art. We love good brutalist art, you know, putting large blocks of stone in front of some beautiful Baroque creation. I think there's some very beautiful modern churches, beautiful modern art. What, what really gets me is when they decide to do over some, some beautiful cathedral from, from the 1500s uh, with, with things that look like they were made by Neanderthals. I mean, it's avant-garde. We, we Germans are the worst about it. We really are. Uh, I call it neo-neolithic art. It just, you know, looks like it was made by cavemen, and they stick these things in these beautiful churches. The devil hates beautiful buildings. He hates beautiful music. He hates beautiful literature. He hates beautiful vestments. The devil hates human creativity, but above all, he hates fruitful marriages. And we live in an era of sterile marriage. That's the devil really loves marriages that do not reproduce or reproduce very few. And all the permutations of marriage that people are playing with now, well, they're demonic. I really believe that. And, you know, uh, we can feel pious, pious and superior to one group. Well, you know, the, the whole, I, I don't mean to be upsetting. I think we were sold a bill of goods, but that whole thing about overpopulation, it's, it's, we're facing the opposite underpopulations within the next uh, 50 years. We really are. Look at the stats. But, you know, we were sold a bill of goods in the 60s about artificial birth control. And it's as demonic, I believe, as all the other permutations of, of sterile marriage that we have. The envy of the devil, death entered the world, and they who are in his possession experience it. Those are powerful words. Now, so what do you do? I, I've, I'm older. I, I didn't realize. Don't worry about it. God is, is merciful and forgiving and loving and I think that his, oh, his, his wrath is much more directed at us clergy, who especially, I, I remember, uh, oh, I might as well say it, the uh, confession practicum I had uh, and a lot of the courses I had in, in seminary were how to help people think their way around artificial birth control. Seriously, I'm not making that up. You know, well, the committee had recommended to Paul the Sixth, you know, Saint Saint Paul the Sixth, uh, to uh, uh, to change the church's 
time-honored policy on artificial birth control. And he said, no, can't do it. Um, how dare he resist the committee that he called? And so theologians pointed out that to commit a grave sin, you had to have a full turning of the will and full freedom. And what poor woman with an irritating husband and 10 kids can really be said to be free? So we, we taught people, we were taught how to teach people to think their way around a teaching of the Catholic Church. And I really believe that it caused a disaster because if you can think your way around one sin, you can think your way around any sin. Um, and we're paying the price now, paying the price now. Um, so I think that we need to think about that and, you know, that, that, uh, um, we need really to accept life. Remember what the Lord said, he who receives a little child receives me. He who receives me receives the one who sent me. And we say, Lord, in this mess in which we're living in the 21st century, where are you? He said, well, you told me to go away. When do we tell you to go away? When we refuse to receive children. Okay, well, let's let's go to a break. I, I really believe that that is so. Um, we'll open up the phones at 888-914-9149. If you are in the market for health insurance, our sponsor, the Catholic Order of Foresters, is here to help you and your family find the most cost-effective health plan. Learn more at relevantradio.com slash Forrester. He gives me peace, joy, and love, love and freedom, freedom in, my soul. in my soul. Jesus' love has brought me out. His love has made me whole. Well, I spent most of my life Amen. living in the ways of sin. Okay, well. No happiness inside. We all do. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and that includes you and me. All right. Um, 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 what am I umming about? Oh, it's time for, oh, well, the, the phones are open, by the way, at 888-914-9149, 888-914-9149. But right now, let's go to letters. Now, this is a, actually a listener question that came to me in a letter form. Um, when you pass away, are we all brothers and sisters in Christ and not married to our spouse? Uh, sincerely. Um, uh, um, I, uh, well, I, I don't know. I, I'm not sure who this is from. It's from someone in Rowena, California. Is that a place? Well, at any rate, to which I will respond with 1 Corinthians 2.9. Eye has, has not seen, ear has not heard, nor has it entered into the heart of man what God has prepared for those who love him. We will be closer to one another in heaven than we are now. In other words, if you are married to your spouse and you both die in the state of grace, or I, I would even think that isn't part of it, you know, that, that there's, the scripture says, though I make my bed in hell, still you are there. God is omnipresent. Um, I don't have time to go into that, but but we think of these things in terms of space and time, and we can't do that. Um, we will be closer 
to our spouses than we are now. We will be closer to our friends. And the uniqueness of our relationship in this world will not pass away. It will be amplified. And our relationship to all of the human beings will be amplified in a way that in this limited existence, this, this kind of womb, which is Earth, um, we can't even describe it. So, yeah, we'll be brothers and sisters in Christ, and you'll be closer to your spouse and to those whom you love, your children, and to all who die in the Lord more than you are now. And I suspect even those people who don't die in a state of grace, that what is good in them will still be present to us. You know, people worry about how can I be happy in the presence of God when my loved ones are burning in hell. What is good and loving does not pass away. Um, the problem is that, that um, you know, uh, to answer that question, which you haven't asked, in God's, God's I believe God's justice and mercy are the same thing. In me, justice and mercy are often contradictory. But God being infinite, he can be just and merciful at the same time. And God in his mercy gives us what we want. And there is, now this is going to sound weird, but I believe there is no one in hell who doesn't want to be there. Uh, in the, um, uh, uh, the classic work by Milton, Paradise Lost, he puts into the, the devil's mouth the words, better to reign in hell than to bend the knee in heaven. I think that's what, what it says. But that's the idea, that, that the devil doesn't want to be in heaven because he hates God. And justice and mercy in God are the same thing, I really believe. Um, so we can't describe what it will be like, but it will be truly wonderful. And I think we can trust that. All right, let me go back to, uh, oh, good grief. I wonder why my computer is always making suggestions. Do you want to save this? Do you want to lose this? Give me a break. All right, let's see. Good grief. All right, this is um, somebody, uh, Viviana, uh, I was talking about gender the other day, you know, that that many languages assign gender to different words, like uh, a table in Latin is feminine, a door is feminine, uh, uh in German, it's kind of funny. A girl is neuter, whereas a knife is feminine. I think a knife is feminine. It's very strange. But people have assigned personalities to things, and those personalities are either masculine, feminine, and in some languages, not either, or neuter. Well, Viviana mentioned, I said, in English, we retain it only a few in a few words, Um and Viviana points out, uh, I mentioned ships. She's a grand old ship. And ships are called she because they are like mothers. They came, they they carry and take care of the babies as best they can. Well, that's the idea, you know, that, that, that the things are assigned gender because uh, of their roles and their functions. So, uh, uh, yeah, I think, Viviana, you're making my point there. But um, I think very interestingly, more than simply a point it is very important to understand that the church is a she. We see the church as an institution, but God doesn't see her that way. God sees her as a bride, a wife, a mother, and a family. And that's what the church really is. And when we treat the church like some some business organization, or when the the bottom line for the church is, is the well-being of her children, not the... the 
the collection and uh, the maintenance of the buildings. Those things are important. But so often we forget what's really important, the well-being of her children. So the church is, is, is not only assigned gender, the church has a gender, and it's she. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the, the, they're thought of in masculine terms because the church, the, the, the mystery of, of femininity in God is in the church, which will be brought into God, into that family which is God. So... That's that's the poetry and the beauty of it. And well, we're not that poetic. All right, let me get back to letters here. Let me look at the time. We're doing fine. All right. <clears throat> now this is this is one from uh, um, um, Trey and Caitlin, uh, and he and I was talking about a very strange exegesis yesterday of. Of, of the gospel passage. My wife and I often talk about what it means to forgive and how that relates to trusting others. Simply put, as Christians, are we expected to fully trust uh, those that we forgive? If we forgive someone, should we have the same amount of trust in them as before they hurt us? Uh, if Judas fully repented and was forgiven by the apostles, would they have put him back in charge of handling the money? We'd love to hear your commentary on this. Well, I think that's a fascinating thing, and I'm going to cheat and jump back to that gospel because I really struggled. The thing that got me thinking about it was in Luke, in the gospel, in this story in Luke, the apostles say to the Lord, increase our faith. And the Lord replied, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, okay, that's a very small thing. You would say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea. Well, I think it's in Matthew that that text isn't a mulberry tree, it's a mountain. Which was it, a mulberry tree or a mountain? And the people who told Luke this story are remembering it, and uh, they 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 use the word mulberry. Maybe Jesus said it in two different ways, but a mountain and a mulberry tree are very different. No, they're not. Not in the consciousness of of the people at the time of Christ. You look through the scriptures, and there are all sorts of references to the roots of the mountains. And if you ever had a mulberry tree, they grow like weeds, and you. <laughs> You can't rip them up. I mean, they, they, they just, the root system is extensive and they're always putting up a shoot here, a shoot there. Um, trees have roots and mountains have roots. And what Jesus is saying, and I, I always wonder, he's talking about forgiveness. And then he jumps to a completely different thing. The Holy Spirit does. Then the apostle said to the Lord, increase our faith. Well, you think about it. I'm always telling you that the word faith means trust. So the apostle said to the Lord, increase our trust. If you have trust the size of the mustard seed, you could uproot the mulberry tree. In other words, if you have trust, you can uproot that that root of bitterness, as the scripture calls it elsewhere. Now, I'm I'm really I'm really going out on a limb on this one, but I I really think that's how this this passage is related to the preceding passage, that the mulberry tree or the mountain is about forgiveness. That that we have to uproot that that root of bitterness, and you can only do it with trust. So you got to trust people who have wrong. No, you got to trust God. Why don't I forgive? If I don't watch out for myself, nobody's gonna. If I don't guard my my feelings, if I don't if I don't uh, uh, nurture my bitterness and my vengeances. 
Who's going to look out for me? Well, if you know the Lord, the Lord is going to increase our trust in the Lord that we can pull this out by the root. You know, if someone has has um, embezzled, you don't put them in charge of the money. That would just be a temptation to them. Uh, if someone has hurt you deeply and, and uh, you know, been a danger to you, a moral danger to you, you don't let them get in that position again. You know, forgiveness, to forgive in Greek means to let go. Sometimes it's just letting go of the offense. Sometimes it's even letting go of the relationship. You know, we are to love everyone and without exception. And I tell you all the time, St. Thomas Aquinas' definition of love, which I think is the best one, is to will the good of another. And when we continue in a certain relationship, sometimes that is not good for us, nor is it good for them. But you don't hate them, you wish them well, but you don't put it, you don't put the fox in charge of the hen house again, that kind of thing. So it's it's a delicate thing. Uh, certain offenses, yeah, you let them back into into full communion with you. Other things, well, you let them back into full communion with you in terms of your your spiritual life. But you're not gonna you're not gonna put them in charge of, uh, you know, you're not gonna put uh, an arsonist in charge of storing gasoline in the garage, kind of thing. So I hope that answers your question. I'm glad you brought me back to it because I wanted, I forgot yesterday to talk about the dimension of trust in this. You know, that, that, that someone we're close to, we need, when they've offended us, to let them know this. And if they say, I'm sorry, you forgive them. And how do you do that? You uproot that bitterness by trusting that God will watch out for you. And you don't have to take revenge. You don't have to... You don't have to guard your bitterness. Sometimes you do have to guard those things which are put into your keeping, but not your bitterness. All right. I hope that's how I look at it. I, you know, again, where's the salt shaker? Take what I say with a grain of salt. Where's the grain of salt? Oh, well. Oh, there it is. Good. All right. Um, let's see here. Maybe. Oh, gosh. Let's see here. One more question. Let's see here. This is kind of a, an, in, oh, I, that, that is, uh, hold on. Uh, let's see here. Okay. This is, uh, oh, good grief. Okay. Oh, this is, this is, uh, uh this is, uh, 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 Mary who, um, uh, Read the Enchiridion of Indulgences. An Enchiridion is a Greek word for handbook. It states that a plenary indulgence is granted when the rosary is recited in a church or oratory, when it is recited in a family, a religious community, or a pious association. A partial indulgence is granted for its recitation in all other circumstances. Today there are ample opportunities to pray the rosary uh, with, other, with others via digital technology and here at Relevant Radio. Sometimes live, oftentimes pre-recorded. I have heard that if a program is live, it can be considered as a means of receiving indulgences. If a person thinks he's praying with a broadcast, but actually it's a recording, does it count? You know, I used to pass this little shed on my way uh, to uh, someplace out in the country, and uh, the farmer had written, a pious farmer had written on the roof of his barn, This it was really just a large shed, pray, it works. But he forgot the period, so he said, pray it works. I wondered what? Pray that the tractor works. What? Prayer doesn't work. 
That's not the point of prayer. Prayer is to put ourselves completely in the hands of the Lord. That's the the that's why we we to pray is to ask God to do his will. But we look at this as if it was a chemical formula. We look at indulgences as if they were sort of uh, this Rube Goldberg kind of automatic machine that you do this, you say that, you get that. I don't think that's how God works. I don't understand how indulgences work. I believe in them. I, I, I believe in them wholeheartedly. But an indulgence... It's any kind of prayer is supposed to is supposed to bring us into a deeper trust in God. You know that that we're not we're not saved by the law. We're saved by grace through faith. And thinking about indulgences, we need to think about grace. That God, this, these are gifts from God. That God is indulgent to us. And you know that kind of toting up, well, I did this, I did that, I filled in the blank, I said the prayer. Um, To me, I I don't know that that's the attitude we need to have to indulgences. I think uh, uh, we need to to have an attitude of real thanksgiving um, for God and his mercy. And as to I can't believe that that if something is pre-recorded and I'm praying with it, that it is not a source of grace. It isn't a source of God's gift. Um, so I would say, you know, we won't know till we stand before God. And uh, I love what C.S. Lewis says, that God, um, you know, he puts in the mouth of the devil uh, in the screw tape letters that, you know, God is such a sophist that, that he'll he'll rescue someone on the flimsiest of grounds. You know, God is much more interested in our getting to heaven than we are. And I think we need to have an attitude toward indulgences that is about thanksgiving instead of, did I get it? Did it work? Did it, you know, that Lord, I'm going to say this prayer and I'm counting on you to hear it. And I'm trusting you. Um, Again, I remind you that a plenary indulgence, a condition for a plenary indulgence, is an absolute uh, detachment from sin, even uh, venial sin. You know, that, that uh, we don't have the, the attachment to sin anymore. And uh, I, I think that's important to realize that, that, that indulgences are a, an integral part of our journey of repentance. That, that they're supposed to draw us to look at God in his mercy and 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 to fall in love with them so enough said let's go to a break we'll come back with a word of the day and uh, the phones are open at 888-914-9149 888 Today, we'd like to thank Steve, who is listening in Wisconsin, for donating his 1981 Kawasaki motorcycle. You can join thousands of other listeners in donating old vehicles, trucks, boats, and RVs by visiting RelevantRadio.com slash car. That's RelevantRadio.com slash car. When Mama sang, the angels stopped to listen. 
You could see the love light shining in her face. You know, I was very blessed in my parents that uh, when they prayed, they were talking to God. And, I mean, I was very blessed by that. But that said, let us move on to, of course the word of the day and of course the phones are open at oh we got the yeah, we're getting phone calls here now 888-914-9149 i have a fairly short word of the day so hopefully i'll get to uh phone calls nice and promptly uh the word of the day is devil aha uh-huh. and you know what that comes from diabolos which is a greek word which means slanderer uh um we read in the book of revelation now is the accuser of the brethren been thrown down um that the, 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 the devil is the slanderer. The Holy Spirit is called the paraclete, which is the attorney for the defense. The devil is called the slanderer. And that word could also be used as the attorney for the prosecution. So I ask you and I ask myself, which side and which legal team am I on? <laughs> the defense or the prosecution? Uh, that's an interesting question to ask. Uh, um, uh, the The... Uh, are we are we the slanderers or are we the uh, uh, attorneys for the defense? I remember uh, a wonderful, wonderful priest, uh, an arch- retired Archbishop John Blasney, who he he would always, when he would hear us clergy bad mouthing a brethren, he would always have something nice to say about the person, and uh, you know that's what we can do when we hear, when we're enjoying. Have you ever heard the saying? What was it? Knitted into a pillow by. Teddy Roosevelt's niece. If you have nothing good to say about someone, sit down here, right? Sit down right here next to me. Uh, you know that we should be attorneys for the defense instead of attorneys for the prosecution. And uh, we can, you know, around the cooler at work, the water cooler, wherever people gather, the coffee pot, and we can always say something nice about something. Yeah, they know they got their issues, but they really helped me out at this one time. Try to ruin gossip by saying something nice about the victim of the gossip. All right, let us move on to phone calls. Telegram for you, sir. He gets mad because he can't read. Oh, I see. I can read. I can read. Judy, I'm reading it from Austin, Texas. What can I do for you, Judy? Well, hi, Father. How you doing? Pretty good, pretty good, pretty good. What can I, okay, how can I help so you were just, you know, you were talking about uh, you know, birth control and artificial contraception yeah. and everything. I just wanted to share that in 1959, when I got married at 17, mm. I got pregnant right away, and wow. then I had yeah. babies. And yeah. um, I was not really churched, and neither was my husband. And mm-hmm. so, you know, I didn't really have any particular position on it. It's just what you did, right? You know? So I got this prescription and I got home and I discovered that it was a femicide. And I thought, that's going to kill my husband's sperm. I don't want to kill my husband's sperm. Oh, my. So I, I didn't use it, you know. I think I was a Catholic a long time before I discovered the truth. <laughs> that so, happens. <laughs> you know, I never released any and I had four beautiful children. I think I wrote you once about our baby with Down syndrome, you know, at uh, 42. Yes. And then uh, my yes. husband, yeah, and we both left, you know. And, and it's just like these people that I brought into the world and the people they brought into the world. And, oh, my God, it's just, it's overwhelming. 
It's the joy of your life. Even even uh, your Down syndrome child, people who have a Down. I remember a dear friend of mine uh, had all these perfect children, and then one came along who had Down syndrome. I said, "What am I going to do?" I said, "You're going to love the kid." He called me two years later and said, "This kid's the joy of our life." And uh, you know that. Well, thanks for that, Judy. It's just it's. You know, people, you know, life is about life. Life's about the giving of life. And we say, well, if I just have the two kids, we can really, we can really take care of them, really give them real attention. When you got two kids, eh, you know, when you got eight kids, it's what you do. Uh, I was the youngest of seven, and that's what you did. Uh, you, you you live for the kids. You got two kids, well, you can always find a babysitter. I, I Maybe I'm wrong about that, but... At any rate, let's go to Steve. Steve from, uh, uh, where, where are we at? We're at uh, Arizona. What can I do for you, Steve? Thank you, Father Simon. So I just recently returned from Spain where I walked the Camino de Santiago. Ah, yeah. the Camino. And, yes. Yeah, it was beautiful, by the way. Um, and as you probably know, it's about 33 stages along the way. Pilgrimage mass each evening. And a number oh. of the churches had Mary as the front and center behind the altar or above the altar and either the cross or a statue or an image of Jesus to the side. And Mm -hmm. I found that, I have to admit, I found that a little bit disturbing and I don't know how to feel about that. Could you help me understand that? Well, interestingly, uh, you know, I think that may be a custom that comes from the middle, middle ages and the Byzantine uh, custom in the Eastern churches, Greek Orthodox and Byzantine churches behind the altar is a beautiful picture of the blessed mother. Well, where's Jesus? You look up in the dome and Jesus is in the dome. He's over all. And I think that may be where the custom comes from. Remember that Mary is the icon of the church. And, um, it's very interesting to me that people who look at, who, who don't seem to love the blessed mother tend to look at the church as an institution whereas people who have a devotion to the Blessed Mother tend to look at the church as a family. And that's just been my experience. Of course, it's not universal, but pretty strongly. Um, and so that custom, I think that's where the custom developed from. And she's an icon of the whole church at prayer. You know, that, that we're not worshiping. I've never worshipped the Blessed Mother, and it's certainly never worshipped a plaster statue, or even a marble one. Uh, but... Um, the idea is that that she's there with us in prayer, uh, and I think that that's you know the whole church is together in prayer as represented by the Blessed Mother. That's kind of how I look at it. I don't know if that helps at all, but I think that's where the custom came from. Does that does that answer your question a little bit? It, it does. I don't recall seeing an image or a fixture above her, but you know maybe I yeah maybe I was displaced and, by the center image and, of her and I didn't see it. I think you also have to realize in traditional churches that that when there's a, an image of the Blessed Mother, it's over the tabernacle. We don't need an image of Jesus because we got Jesus there. And in the Mass, he's physically and spiritually there. So, we, you know, we don't stress the, the, an icon of Jesus because we got Jesus. And I think that's part of it. Uh, and I think that's a more real thing than we realize. So maybe that maybe that explains it a little better. So she's with us there in prayer, worshiping her divine son. But he's right there. So, you know, a picture's nice, but that's not what we're about. We're about the real thing. Does that help a little? 
It does. Thank you, Father. Well, good. God bless. And uh, Mazel Tov on the Camino. I've had. Fr- I've never done it, but I've had friends who've done it, and it is a powerful thing to do. So, God bless. Thanks for calling in, Steve. Let's go to Margo, who's calling in from. Uh, it's a Tempe, Florida. Tampa, Florida. What can I do for you, Margo? Hi. So I recently got confirmed Catholic in <laughs> August of this year, and I only went to confession once so far, mm-hmm. um, and mm-hmm. I didn't have a whole lot to say. Now, I don't mm-hmm. commit many big sins or anything on a regular basis, but there's a lot of little ones. And yeah, yes. my question, my question is, um, you know, there are some of that I can think that I know I'm going to do again, you know? Yeah. So how do I meaningfully ask for forgiveness for something that I know is going to happen ultimately? Well, you, what you, what you have to do is, I don't want it to happen again, but it's going to happen again. Uh, you know, that, that I think the reason that we go to confession on a regular basis and confess, the, you know, Father, confess the same old sin. I said the other day, I don't know if you were listening, but I said, you know, the word for sin in Greek, hamartia, literally means to miss the target. And if you think of it as failure, bless me, Father, for I failed. Ooh, that's a little more pertinent, isn't it? I failed to be the friend I should be, the mother, the the daughter, the 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 spouse. In my case, I failed to be the priest I should be. When I think of of when I realize sin means failure, that that I've got a lot more to say. I got it. First, I have to honestly admit I failed. And if I say it in confession often enough, you know what's going to happen? I'm going to hear it. You know, I go to confession and confess these sins. I read that this is a sin. I don't really believe it's a sin. Well, as I confess it frequently, sometimes the Holy Spirit gets around me and convinces me, yeah, it really is a sin. You should stop doing that. You should stop gossiping and you should stop uh, road raging. And, you know, well, everybody does it. Yeah. And it's still it's still a failure in of charity. You know, bless me, Father, for I've failed. If you think of it that way, frequent confession makes a lot more sense. Does that help a little? That helps completely. Thank you very much. Well, there you go. And mazel tov on coming into the church. And uh, Thank God, you. what, Thank what you. flavor? What flavor? So what what flavor Christian were you before you became became a Catholic? A Lutheran. Oh, Lutherans, they're great. But, I love the Lutherans. Yeah, but not, but not, not practicing so much, but yeah, I, I am now go to church every Sunday and go to Bible study yeah. and all the good stuff. The whole schmear. Yeah, the, uh, uh, yeah. you know, my background is very German. And I always say Martin Luther was the first real German. So I have a great empathy for him. But, <laughs> you know, is uh, the Martin Luther table talk. When you got a couple beers in that guy, he said the darndest things, as most Germans do. <laughs> At any rate, well, just kidding you, Margo. God bless you and enjoy. All right. Thanks for calling right, thank and thanks much. for listening. Let's go to Eric. Eric from Providence, Rhode Island. What can I do for you, Eric? Hey there, Father. I was uh, earlier in the program. You were uh, speaking about art, um, and I have I have an image of Jesus on the cross um, on my phone, and I was just curious um, what some of your favorite uh, depictions of Jesus are. Oh, good grief! My favorite. Well, of course, I love the Shroff tour, and that's I, I love that one. And what are some of my favorite depictions of Jesus? Uh, the Pieta. I love the Pieta. And and there's a particular Pieta. I can't think of the artist. It's a, a more modern Pieta where the Blessed Mother is staring right at you. It's a very powerful one. 
and I love the the. Uh, for instance, the image of Jesus in, in the in the Byzantine mosaics, is like uh, the church in in Montreal in Sicily, has an amazing picture of Jesus. So I love those those Byzantine icons of Jesus. So those are my favorite depictions of Jesus. But when I want to look at a picture of Jesus, I look at the Shroud of Turin to tell you the truth. So there you go. How's that sound? Wonderful. I love it. Thank you so much. God bless, and thanks for listening, Eric. Let's go to Patty, who's calling in from Salinas, California. What can I do for you, Patty? Hi, Father. Yes, so question. Um, I always do this prayer with my kids, and I want to know if this is right or not. If I make any suffrages or indulgences, please hand them to my mother, Mary, to distribute them. Now, when we ask for these suffrages and these indulgences to go to um, maybe the souls of purgatory or whatever, uh, well, not whatever, but to them, uh, do, is that correct, or do we have to, like, say um, that at the moment we stub our toe? When, when does it count? Well, it, it, you know, I always say for God, all places are here, all moments are now. It counts when you think of it. So, you know, that, that God's right there in every place and in every moment. And I think that's a lovely prayer to, to ask the Blessed Mother to use the grace uh, you know, as a mother would. That's a lovely prayer. So, yeah, you don't have to worry about, oh, I should have stubbed my, should have said that when I stubbed my toe. And I say, yes. I stubbed my toe yesterday. And Lord, I offer that up for, for grandma or I offer it okay, up so for, it doesn't matter what you know, time. Okay. Okay. Doesn't awesome. matter. Thank you so doesn't much. matter. Okay, That's my opinion. You. All right. Thanks for calling in, Patty. God bless. Let's go to Mark from Chicago. What can I do for you, Mark? Hi, Father. Uh, I'm surrounded by uh, fallen Catholics, and I'm wondering what my responsibility is. To pray for them, first of all. I mean, to pray for them and give the best example uh, y y you can. You know, you're, you may be the only Bible they ever read, or the only catechism they ever read. The more they can see Christ in you the closer to him they'll come. You know, the, the real, the real St. Peter talks about evangelism. Be prepared to uh, respond when asked about this hope of ours. And in other words, when we try to inflict our beliefs on them, they, they resent that. But if they look at us and say, this is a happy person, why are they happy and I'm not? Well, because I know Jesus and, and uh, I, I have the sacraments. You know, so you want to be... Uh, um, you know, I always point out that when Jesus said, I'll make you fishers of men, he didn't tell us we were going to be the worm. So you got to be the tastiest little worm on the hook. So there you go. And speaking of of <laughs> tasty worms on the hook, no powerful evangelism, Drew is coming up and he will pray with you, the Divine Mercy Chaplain. That's the best kind of evangelism is to pray with someone.